Chapter Twenty One of The Last Egyptian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Last Egyptian by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Twenty One lotus eaters and crocodiles if in all the realm of travel there is a voyage that is absolutely ideal it is the trip up the nile the constant change of scene varying with every bend in the river the shifting lights the gentle ripple of the waters the distant songs and shouts of the native boatmen the outlines of the libyan hills by moonlight and the rocky wastes of desert dotted with gorgeous crimson and yellow cacti by day the sunsets that paint the cloudless egyptian skies with entrancing splendor and the silhouettes of donkey and camel trains above the high embankment at twilight these taken in connection with the carefree lotus-eating existence of the voyager leave an impression so vivid and sweet and altogether satisfactory that no other experience in the whole world of travel can compare with or ever efface it from one's memory aneth believed the dragoman's assertion that prince kara had been generous at last and released her from her promise neither winston nor mrs everingham dared vouch for the dragoman's statements but they remained silent while tadros unabashed explained that his master was whimsical and erratic but very kind-hearted and considerate and incapable of wronging any one in any way as for lord roane miss he said confidentially there is no doubt he did an imprudent thing which vexed my master who has a high sense of honour so he frightened my lord to teach him to be more careful in the future but never had he the slightest idea of exposing him to public infamy i assure you kara has told me so himself the dragoman derived much satisfaction from these inventions especially as he noticed how implicitly aneth believed them and how they operated to cheer her spirits and render her content with her novel and delightful surroundings every one on board was devoted to the girl and under the genial influences of the voyage she recovered to an extent her old brightness and vivacity there was no harm now in blushing happily at the love-light in gerald's eyes and her three companions were those she loved best in all the world her recent cares and heartaches seemed all to have been left behind in cairo and she could look forward to many weeks of keen enjoyment she was sorry however that she had misjudged prince kara and promised herself to implore his pardon immediately on her return to cairo gerald and mrs everingham while they did not disabuse aneth's mind were a trifle uneasy at the growing audacity of the dragoman's statements and warned him to be more careful after the girl had regained her health and self-possession they would explain to her the truth of the matter and discredit tadros freely at present they were content to note her bright eyes and the roses creeping back to her cheeks 
lord roane had wisely decided not to ask questions from what he overheard he understood that kara was now befriending aneth instead of persecuting her and this being the case his own danger was reduced to a minimum he could not understand the egyptian's change of attitude in the least if kara had intended merely to frighten him he had succeeded admirably and roane told himself that the punishment he had already suffered through terror and despair was sufficient to expiate his long-forgotten sin against hatacha but did kara think so that was a question he could not answer but he decided to defer all worries for the present at least gerald winston would have been less than human had he refrained from showing to aneth during these delightful days how dearly he loved her and what happiness her companionship brought to him the moonlit evenings on deck were sufficient to inspire the most bashful lover and gerald did not dare waste his golden opportunities if he won aneth at all it must be on this trip and under the spur of mrs everingham's counsel to be bold he soon put his fate to the test and marvelled at his success the girl had suffered too much to trifle with her lover's heart and her consent was readily won it was his intention that they be married while at luxor or oswan there being english churches in both places and ample conveniences for a proper conduct of the ceremony roane was fond of winston and offered no objection to a plan which would ensure aneth's happiness and which seemed to be defective only in its precipitancy the project pleased aneth as much as it delighted her lover in her days of misery when she thought she had lost him forever the full value of gerald's love had been so impressed upon her that she clung to him now realizing that he represented the full measure of her future happiness still she experienced an uneasy sensation that any unnecessary delay might prove dangerous her contract with kara moreover had taught her to face the possibility of a sudden marriage and what was a hateful ordeal then would now become a crown of triumph whenever you like gerald she said i will become your wife i could never wish for other witnesses of my wedding than my dear grandfather and mrs everingham and happiness is such a precious thing and life so uncertain that i have no desire to resist your proposal thank you my dear one he said gravely and i think i prefer luxor to oswan it will be so romantic to be wed in the old theban city where the egyptian princesses once made their home and where they lived and loved will it not it shall be luxor he declared that week was one of never-to-be-forgotten delight even tadros wore a perpetual smile although this method of sweet communion between lovers was all new and amazing to him he felt quite secure now for the first time since kara had asserted his power over the dragoman's destinies and wondered the thing being so easy why he had so long hesitated to break with his arrogant and imperious master as the dahabiyah lazily breasted the languid current of the river tadros idly wondered what kara was doing now 
and could not forbear a laugh at the thought of the egyptian's anger and perplexity when he had discovered the flight of his proposed victims oh well kara had pitted his cunning against the dragoman's intelligence it was little wonder he was discomfited on the afternoon of the seventh day they steamed slowly past beni hassan their moderate progress being due to the fact that the boat tied up from every sunset to the next sunrise beni hassan was a picturesque village as viewed from the river where its filth and stench were imperceptible and the groups of splendid palms lent a dignity to the place that a closer inspection would prove undeserved aneth seated happily by gerald's side beneath the ample deck awning admired the village greatly and her lover promised to stop there on their return and give her an opportunity of visiting the famous tombs in the nearby hillside at twilight they anchored midway between beni hassan and antino the boat lying motionless a few yards away from the east bank the evenings are delightful in this part of egypt and it was midnight before the passengers aboard the dahabiyah sought their couches tadros indeed being wakeful lay extended upon the stern deck of the steamer long after the others were asleep engaged in thoughtfully gazing at the high bank and indulging in pleasant dreams of future prosperity when he had added winston bay's three thousand pounds to the snug savings he had already accumulated presently a dark object appeared for an instant at the top of the bank and quickly vanished against the black surface below another succeeded it and another tadros scratched his head in perplexity these dark objects seemed to have form yet they were silent as the dead he counted a dozen of them altogether and while still pondering upon their appearance being undecided as to whether they were ghosts or jackals his quick ears caught a splash in the water beside the bank they were not jackals that was certain for those ravenous beasts never take to the water neither are ghosts supposed to bathe from where he lay the surface of the river was scarcely a foot distant and leaning well over the stern tadros managed to discover in the dim light several heads bobbing upon the water he ought to have given an immediate alarm but terror rendered him irresolute and before he had time to act it was too late to arouse his fellow-passengers clambering up the bow were half a score of naked arabs their knives held between their glistening teeth their dark eyes roaming fiercely around tadros's first impulse was to fight but just as he was about to rise to his feet a man whom he knew bounded aft and sprang into the little cabin where the women lay asleep it was kara there was no indecision on the part of the dragoman after that he slipped off the deck into the water with the dexterity of a seal sliding from a rock and while a succession of terrified screams and angry shouts bombarded his ears tadros swam silently across the nile toward the opposite shore the water was cold and he shivered as he swam yet the chill was from within rather than from without there are no crocodiles in the nile now but in places there are serpents and shark-like fish that will bite a mouthful of flesh from a swimmer's leg tadros knew of this but did not think of it just then reflected in his mind was kara's dark visage grim and malignant 
and with certain death facing him aboard the dahabiyah the dragoman's only impulse was to get as far away from the danger as possible the turmoil on the boat prevented his escape from being immediately noticed and after a long swim that nearly exhausted his strength he reached the west shore and fell panting upon the hard earth slowly regaining his breath he strained his ears to catch any sound that might proceed from the dahabiyah but now an oppressive silence reigned on the opposite side of the river the lights of the steamer gleamed faintly through the night but the fate of those he had left on board was wrapped in mystery perhaps kara and his band of assassins would murder all except the girl it was possible he would murder her as well anyway the dragoman's connection with the enterprise had come to an abrupt ending a mile or so away was the little town of rhoda with its railroad station tadros started to walk toward it keeping well back from the edge of the bank so that he might not be discovered in case anyone pursued him his dejection and dismay at this sudden reversal of fortune were extreme he had lost the last vestige of the jaunty bearing that usually distinguished him with three thousand pounds already earned but irretrievably lost and the knowledge that kara's merciless enmity would pursue him through life the dragoman's condition was indeed deplorable he wondered what he should do now returning to cairo was out of the question he would go back to fedah his old home nephthys and her mother were there and would hide him if kara appeared unexpectedly yes fedah was his only haven at least until he had time to consider his future plans by and by he reached the station at rhoda the village named after the ancient island in the nile opposite cairo a sleepy arab porter was in charge of the place and eyed the dragoman's wet clothing with evident suspicion when questioned he announced that a train would go south at six o'clock in the morning tadros slipped outside the station and found a convenient hiding-place against a neighboring house where the shadows were so deep that he could not be observed here he laid down to rest and await the arrival of the train by daybreak his clothing had dried but he observed with regret that his blue satin vest had been ruined by the river water and that his syrian sash was disgracefully wrinkled next to life itself he loved his splendid costumes so that this dreary discovery did not tend to raise his dampened spirits when the train drew in he boarded it and found himself seated in a compartment opposite to lord consinor they stared at each other for a moment and then the viscount emitted a sound that seemed a queer combination of a growl and a laugh it is kara's alter ego he sneered in english pardon me my lord said the dragoman hastily the alliance is dissolved i have even more reason than you to hate the prince indeed returned consinor he is a fiend emanating directly from your english hell declared tadros earnestly i know of no other diabolical place where kara could have been bred one thing is certain however he continued with bitter emphasis i will have vengeance upon him before i die there was no mistaking the venom of the man's rancorous assertion consinor smiled and said 
it would give me pleasure to share your revenge a sudden thought struck tadros a thought so tremendous in its scope and significance that he was himself astonished and stared blankly into the other's face for a time he rode in silence revolving the idea in his mind and examining its phases with extreme care then he inquired cautiously where are you going my lord to Asiat. i thought you had left cairo long ago so i did i have been to alexandria but found nothing there to amuse me i am now bound for Asiat, and from there i intend travelling to aswan and up to wadi halfa are you in any hurry to reach there not the slightest then leave the train with me at Cousier. i have something to propose that will interest you consinor studied him a moment does this program include our revenge he asked yes very well i will do as you suggest good exclaimed tadros then he leaned over and whispered revenge and a fortune my lord is it not worth while End of chapter 21